with the best brand of football in Idaho, this is the 8-Man PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. Hey, that's right. Welcome in. It is another edition of the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. Brandon Bainey with the coach, Lane Kirkland. And the Idaho 8-Man Twitter uh, master extraordinaire, Will Henneke. No time for pleasantries because, Coach Kirkland, you've got 19% battery on your phone and no charger. So you might just drop out in the middle of the show and that's it. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah, just just like it's time to go to bed here at 10 o'clock, maybe. <laughs> yeah, all right. Will, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Okay, well, let's get right to it then. Uh, the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast, of course, always starts with our game of the week. And we're going to your neck of the woods, Coach Kirkland. District 4, 1A, D1, Snake River Conference, Murtaugh, and Valley. This was a back-and-forth affair. Murtaugh hangs on to win 62-58. to 58. Coach Kirkland, I'm, I'm guessing it probably came down to a couple of two-point conversions, it looks like. Maybe Murtaugh cashed in a few more than Valley. Yeah, and I, th- I think I also heard it came down to the last possession, which it would, and that, that's sort of a game as well, but those extra points count. And you got to have all of them when it's back and forth, and uh, man, you're on your toes, and you know you're going to score, and the, the biggest question on the sideline of the coach is, what's our extra point, Coach? What, what can we get there? So, um, lots of good calls made there, and that's that's a lot of points and some good teams that are improving every week. Yeah, I mean, for Murtaugh in the win, we know they love to run the ball. Eli Merrick, 183 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. Junior Benitez adds 176 yards and two scores. Sawyer Young throws for 135 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Benitez caught one, Merrick caught the other. How about defensively 16 tackles for junior Benitez on defense with an interception. I asked you this last week, coach Kirkland, what's more impressive what junior Benitez did on offense or the 16 tackles and the pick he had on defense. Well, it tells you he's got a lot of miles in that night from sideline to sideline. Um, you know, both valiant efforts, uh, apparently it's offense because they, they won. Yes. Uh, And then, Will, on the Valley side, we've talked about Josh Hardy a lot, this dual threat quarterback for Valley. Uh, You know, he had a nice night passing, 12 of 19, 146 yards, two touchdowns. But uh, how about the rushing totals? 30 carries, 285 yards, five touchdowns. True dual threat quarterback. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's a nice little version of his, his older brother who we've talked about on this podcast before. And the Vikings have some nice weapons and coming into the year, I don't know how many people thought we'd be sitting here at the midway point of the season saying that, you know, Valley might be in the driver's seat for an at-large berth into the 1A Division I playoffs. But, uh, you know, even though even though they lost, you know, they, it was a good team. It was a strong game. Uh, I think they put themselves in a pretty good position to make a, a real strong playoff push. And on the other side, this was obviously an important win for Murtaugh as well because the league is going to be so close and competitive this year. Anytime you can get the W, it doesn't matter if it was only by four points, doesn't matter if you got into a shootout, Murtaugh will definitely take that win. Both teams are now 1-1 one and one in league play. Uh, Murtaugh's 3-1 and one overall. Valley is 2-2, two and two, and this is a game, Will, I think we'll look back on and say, yeah, that had major playoff implications. Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, it could be the difference between being a – you know, somewhere in that six to eight range and maybe being a, a 10 or an 11. And, and that could potentially be the difference between playing at home or having to take a real long bus ride. 
And and we know that in November that makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. Uh, elsewhere in the Snake River Conference this past week, Oakley and Rath River played on IdahoSports.com. Oakley uh, kind of pulled away in the second and third quarters to earn the win there. So Rath River remains winless in league play, but they've got the two most difficult out of the way, Oakley and, and Lighthouse Christian, check and check. Speaking of Lighthouse Christian, the Lions get a very narrow win over Kerry. Coach Kirkland, you were at this game. Lighthouse Christian was up 30-12 to 12 at halftime. Carey pitches a second half shutout and nearly completes the comeback. Yeah, it was it was a competitive ball game. Uh, it it, uh, it swung a different direction the second half for sure. Um, I know Lighthouse first two scores were on some some missed coverage and both on fourth downs, by the way. And uh, we went for a, a punt on our own thirty and didn't connect that, so that was another touchdown on Lighthouse side. So really a pretty even game outside of those three plays in the first half and then second half. Um, our, our boys came out and played an aggressive defense, aggressive defense, causing a lot of turnovers, really getting after Schrader um, in uh, DeJong's uh, face one-on-one the whole night and, and really had a good showing and demonstrated a lot of good improvements. And on a, a Lighthouse team that's very talented, that, uh, they sealed the deal pretty much with first downs and runoffs and or, uh, yeah, with running the ball and, uh, and finishing uh, the Panthers off at home. So yeah, a good effort coach. by the Panthers. Coach, over the summer, I had people telling me, and you would know this better than anybody, being there and knowing these kids the way you do, that Kerry was most likely going to be a much different team in October than they were September, just because of the gained experience and the gained repetitions. A lot of kids stepping into roles that they haven't been in before. Are, is that what you're seeing, looking at them and watching them play? Yeah, they definitely begin to show up there and uh, gain some reps, you know, those first few games and some confidence. And anytime Kerry plays Lighthouse, you know it's going to be a death match, and it was it was a good battle um, between uh, both teams, and uh, uh, I think it's a confidence builder for Kerry in the future. Yeah, uh, on our Magic Valley prep cast where we just talk about District Four athletics, uh, Scott Burton had a chance to talk to to Logan Bosma, the head coach at Lighthouse. He said, uh, "Game ball goes to Colin Vanderham, who basically made uh, the reception that." Uh, got Lighthouse the last first down they needed to run out the clock, basically. Otherwise, they were going to give the ball back to Carey. So Colin Vanderham came up with a big reception to basically end the game. Um, and then another fun tidbit we learned is that, Will, uh, Coach Bosma and uh, some of the other assistants are young enough and spry enough that they actually hop in and play on the scout team a little bit against these varsity players. Good and so they have, a, they have, they have a lot of fun. You know, if a kid picks off coach Bosma as he's throwing a pass on the scout team, you know, they let him know about it too. So it's cool that the coaches can mix it up like that. Whereas if I kind of catch my shoulder on a door, walking into a room and it kind of tweaks me a little bit, I'm, I'm on the shelf for like a week. So I'm glad to hear that those guys are able to get in there and, and still compete. You ever do that, Coach Kirkland? Hop in there on the scout team? Oh, as often as I could. <laughs> yeah, you bet. What what position would you play? I was always the scout quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent completion percentage, right? Uh, yeah. Sometimes those other guys. But, uh, I, I got a few uh, rips in my shirts and uh, toe toe stepped on uh, over the years, so I quit doing that after a bit. 
<laughs> you ended up on the injured uh, list too much. So uh, yeah, congrats to Lighthouse Christian and for Carey to come up two points short. Uh, I think this is a game they're going to look back on and go, this was a big building block um, as they continue to, to build. Uh, so we talked about Oakley and Rath River. That was on IdahoSports.com last week. We also had a non-conference battle between Grace and Notice. Grace made the long trip over to Notice. Uh, they went 48 to nothing. Uh, Braden Kimball, who quarterbacks this Grace offense, was really effective. Two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns rushing. Wyatt Cutler rushed for a touchdown, caught a touchdown pass. Joe Clegg caught a touchdown pass as well. Uh, Coach, you got to see Grace with your own eyes. This didn't surprise you, did it? Not at all. Uh, I knew that that was a, a much better ball club. Uh, I think uh, Lighthouse got by Grace, uh, uh, respectively, in that, that particular game, and Grace didn't have their best ball game uh, against uh, Lighthouse. But uh, uh, Grace has regrouped, went on the road. That's a long trip against a good team, and uh, they're back and rolling again, it looks like to me. And this is another one of those games, Will, where we talk about notice in District 3, fair or not, every time they play somebody from another league, it's going to be used as a measuring stick, and the conference as a whole is going to be judged on this. And so for notice to come out and fall a little bit flat, uh, again, perception is reality. Fair or unfair, the conference is going to get dinged again. Yeah, it's it's going to happen at some point, but, but District 3 needs – to win one of these games. And it's going to happen. It may not happen this year. I, I think that overall the conference is down a little bit, though I think Notice has a pretty decent club. Um, but the, the conference itself needs to find a big win. They need somebody to step up and beat a Butte County, to beat a Grace, to beat um, you know a Carey. If they get a matchup with with Carey, they, they need to win one of those games um, and, and show that that they belong with a, a seat at the big table with some of those other, those, those other powerhouses. Yeah. Uh, so congrats to grace. They're four and one. They're one of the few teams in Idaho that has played five games through five weeks of competition. The bye week is coming soon for the Grizz and for notice they're two and one. So they've had a couple of games get wiped out. Um, so they're a little bit behind in terms of number of games, but I think notice will be just fine. Ultimately, uh, another game we had on IdahoSports.com last Friday night is the game. I was at gentlemen at the, uh, Mariman health core center. It's this beautiful facility that the, the quarter lane tribe, uh, boys and girls club helped fund and facilitate. It's a turf field right there in Worley. Uh, not many eight man teams get to play on turf. And so it was kind of a cool deal. Clark fork played lakeside in a one, a D two matchup. It was only 14 to eight at halftime and Clark Fork came in with a game plan of we are going to run that sucker down. We're going to run the clock down to one second before every snap. It worked pretty well. They were trailing 14 to eight at halftime. But then when we got to the second half, back to back possessions ended with defensive scores for Lakeside. And from there, Clark Fork could never catch up after that. Um, you had a uh, fumble return of about 55 yards by Lucky Matt, the homecoming king. He won the homecoming king at halftime. Then he gets the scoop and score. And then uh, the next, that's a good, that's a good night. Uh, and then on the next possession, Jamari Peon uh, picked off a pass and he took it back about 65 yards for a touchdown. And so from there, Lakeside got the win. I was very impressed with this lakeside team will um i thought coming in it was going to be a track meet because they've got all these dynamic athletes but they're physical they line up yeah. and they just they run it down your throat with quincy hall and peon and even a guy like blaze callahan comes in off the bench and 
and defensively, their front six, their their three linebackers, three linemen are all tough, physical, standout players. I can't wait for for Lakeside to play Mullen St. Regis. Yeah, Coach Buell told me over the summer that one of the things he was really happy about is that the the physical presence that that his veteran kids brought to the field. And we've talked a lot about Quincy Hall uh, on this podcast, but Peon's a kid. He gets overlooked a little bit. All he does is go out there and you know, pick up a, a touchdown or two, you know, pick up 50 or 60 yards on the ground and, oh, by the way, intercept a pass or have a couple of sacks or something. He's that kind of that 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 nice number two option that a good team needs. So you, you don't necessarily live and die with one guy, though Quincy Hall is a heck of a guy. If you're going to live and die with somebody uh, up there in Division One or District One, that's a good guy to live and die with. But but they've got some they've got some bullets in the gun to, to work with there. And and people have been saying all along, hey, you know, don't sleep on them. Everybody assumes, you know, Mullen Clark Fork, Mullen Clark Fork, don't don't rule out Lakeside. And I think Lakeside kind of showed us why. Coach Kirkland, the homecoming king, lucky Matt. He gets the uh the defensive touchdown. He was our Idaho sports.com player of the game. How often does that happen where the homecoming king, you know, gets crowded at halftime and then comes out in that second half and makes an impact play? Uh, you, you never know. Uh, those are always the some of the better players on the team, but uh, that's the icing on the cake right there. And I'm, I'm sure it made him feel pretty happy as well as his his parents and his hometown. Yeah, I also wanted to uh, formally uh, put before you, we'll vote on it. Uh, we, we're, we're coming up with the Idaho eight-man all-name team this year. We've already got two official designated slots to Crash Taylor from Castle Ford and Razor Duke from Butte County. I would like to submit Lucky Matt from Lakeside because with a name like Lucky, he sure was, and just the way he played. Uh, what do you guys think? Lucky Matt, should he make the all-name team or not? I think he's on the roster, Coach. What do you think? You bet. Yeah, right there at the top. <laughs> All right. Lucky Matt from the Lakeside Knights, our third official member of the all-name team here on the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast. And again, we'll take your submissions as well. Uh, you can send those to Brandon at IdahoSports.com uh, if you want somebody to be nominated for the all-name team. Uh, and then real quick, just to wrap up with Clark Fork, uh, I came in expecting – to see Chase San Roman at running back. He played quarterback in the first half um, and ran the ball pretty well. Um, and then in the second half, when they got behind by multiple scores and had to abandon the run game, that's when Ethan Howard came in to play quarterback. And he's, you know, 6'3", big, tall kid. He didn't play at all in the first half. And so I just wonder what it would look like if Howard had played at quarterback the whole game and San Roman had been the running back, uh, Will. But uh, it's, it's hard to just switch your game plan completely and go from run the ball run the clock to all right now we're down multiple scores we gotta we gotta try and pass it is and it's hard to be that kid who's you know been over holding the metaphorical clipboard for half a game and then have the the coach turn to you and say okay go sling us back into this and and i know you know ethan howard's a, he's a talented player but that's a tall order against a good team and uh, one more note about Clark Fork. They didn't punt the entire night, Coach. Uh, at one point, they had like a fourth and 30 from like their own 25, and they still didn't punt. I'd never seen that before. Um, it's sometimes called the Tecmo Bowl offense. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you ever had a team like that where you just you didn't have anybody that you felt good punting back there, and you just said, we're just going to go for it on every fourth down? No, no. I've never been that brave, honestly. And I've had coaches try and say, just go. What are you doing? Go for it, coach. It's, we're not going to punt very far anyway. And I still have punted. So I'm a punter. 
scout team punter too just like the scout team qb right that's right <laughs> yeah yeah so anyways uh clark fork will be better i think it, it's ironic patrick young is their coach uh first year he also played for clark fork uh, from like 2006 to 2008 he was a wide receiver and yet he comes in with this game plan of we're going to run the ball and and basically bleed the clock so i thought that was ironic as well that a former receiver is now saying yeah let's ground and pound baby so uh yeah clark fork will be okay i think moving on there um okay Let's talk about this is really the meat and bones, uh, meat, meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about on the prep cast this week. Will, uh, you started hearing rumblings last week uh, and then it became official that uh, the co-op of Greenleaf Friends, Centennial Baptist and Gem State was going to uh, dissipate and basically fold on the season just didn't have enough kids mm-hmm. um they went to the ihsaa and petitioned to allow the players that were remaining from that greenleaf friends co-op and were still interested in playing um to play with wilder and that that went through and so now you've got kind of this wilder team that has also suffered a lot of injuries uh and they get some reinforcements uh, a couple from greenleaf maybe one from gem state from centennial baptist we have to wait and see what the the roster shakeout is but um i'm still fairly new to idaho is this something that happens a lot in the state no. will no and coach you can speak to it more because you have a lot more uh eight-man experience than i do but frankly i was caught a little bit off guard um not that not that Greenleaf and Wilder, who have co-opted before, not that they asked the question, but I th- I was a little surprised that an in-season co-op um, was approved um, because in you know like in talking to Coach Bailey over at Wilder, he said a couple of the kids coming over from Greenleaf are linemen, and that's an area where we're short. So I'm sure there are a lot. I'm sure Idaho City would like to go out and you know maybe you know add Ronaldo Gomez from Rimrock to the roster, you know, and I'm, I'm saying that jokingly, of course, I don't mean that, that that's the next shoe to fall is that Idaho city and Rimrock are going to combine here. But I was a little bit surprised in the context of you're in the middle of the season. There are two teams in the same league that are competing for a playoff berth. And, and I get that. I, I get that things are what they are as far as injuries and rosters and whatnot. But but them being put together and allowed to finish the season in the same division, competing for a playoff spot, still, I was a little bit surprised by that. That said, I'm glad that the I'm glad that the kids are going to get to stay on the field and finish their season, uh, and I'm really interested to see how it works out. You're trying to, you know, basically, I, I don't want to say start over from nothing because you're not starting over from nothing, but you're integrating new players, new ideas, new coaches, new thoughts with you know three four weeks to go in the regular season yeah what were your thoughts on this coach when you when you saw that this was happening um you know you know i don't think i've ever seen it in season before that i can recall or paid much attention to that but uh i can appreciate the ihsaa and that decision and i agree with will that uh, let's get those kids playing and uh, continue their seasons let them finish their dream out Uh, maybe some of those guys are seniors and, and at least let them play football um, the, the rest of their uh, their high school career, finish out that senior year and be on a team and have some uh, have some participation and, and still play the game. So, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Wilder is a team that's taken it on the chin this year, as had Greenleaf, as has a, a lot of teams in that league. So we'll, we'll see how this newly formed Wilder Greenleaf Gem State Centennial Baptist co-op uh, looks. 
Um, but it is interesting that in season already with a couple of games under each team's respective belt, uh, they, they go to make this move. And I guess that brings up the larger question. What do, what do we do about those programs that are constantly struggling with numbers? Uh, we saw earlier this year, Clark County come out and say, look, we've only got eight kids on the roster. We're going to play a six man schedule. Everybody in their conference said, we're good with that. When we play you, we'll play six man. Uh, to me, coach, it, it goes one of two ways. There's a six man division that is adopted, or we see more of these co-ops, but the impression I've gotten is that communities like to hold on to that identity. And sometimes they don't want to co-op with the, with the school down the street, but what, what's your take on that? How do we, how do we get these low number programs sustainable and, and, and keeping them alive? Well, it, uh, you really have to help your, your neighboring communities. If you're, you know, an opponent and, uh, and grant them their wishes with a six man game. Um, at times when they are struggling so that, to, like, like we just said there, that the kids can play and, and live out their dreams and the programs stay alive and their communities stay alive and active in, uh, in fall football, you know, the sport of fall football. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's a great opportunity for them to just be able to continue to, to be on the field. And uh, how do you take care of those guys? You know, the first suggestion really is a co-op of some sort but uh, that identity is very hard to let go, very hard. And so uh, it's a matter of what the community kind of can decide on and agree with uh, with the neighboring schools. Yeah, I'm from Montana originally, and that not only do they have six-man football, they have a lot of co-ops as well. In fact, Drummond and Phillipsburg, who hated each other like uh, strongly, they're now a co-op and they play together uh, up in northern Montana, Geraldine and Highwood, where they battled for multiple state championships year after year. They had to form a co-op. They famously called themselves the rivals and uh, they were a pretty successful co-op. And so I guess where I'm coming from in Montana, um, it's more common for schools to co-op because they would they, they say there we would rather play. And even if we have to play with, you know, these guys that we don't like too much, we'd rather have the ability to play than get two games in and have to cancel the season. When Midvale and Cambridge came together to form Tri-Valley several years ago, um, it, it was not exactly met with universal enthusiasm on the two sides. Let's put it that way. They've they've grown to appreciate it, obviously. And, and Brandon, like you're saying, I'm sure they'd much rather – you know, be playing alongside those guys than not playing at all. But, um, you know, some of the past players and past coaches that I've talked to say they're still old timers in Cambridge that kind of grit their teeth about having to play on the same team as Midvale and and vice versa. The, the thing that makes this six-man versus co-op conversation so uh, interesting for me is the geography of Idaho is just so – I mean, I don't think people can truly appreciate – you know, you're you're looking at a team in a classification of, of Kootenai up by Coeur d'Alene playing in the same division as, as, you know, Clark County or Showban or someone like that. And just the immense headaches, logistical headaches in creating a schedule, you know, travel and all that stuff. And, um, and then from the flip side of the coin, co-ops, another side that uh, has come up multiple times before. And the example I'll use is Mullen St. Regis. Uh, I once asked Stetson Spooner, the head coach and athletic director, why not go eight miles down the road to Wallace? And he says, because if we did that, we'd have to compete as a 2A school. 
the combined enrollment would push us up and we'd have to play 11 man, um, you know, against the likes of, you know, St. Mary's. And that wasn't something that they were really willing to do. So that's another thing to, to consider here is the enrollment of some of these, some of these, uh, some of these things. And that's why Greenleaf, Centennial Baptist and Gem State are competing as a 1A Division One, even though all three of them are somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 kids. The three of them put together were still below that. Uh, they were still a 1A Division One uh, school size in terms of the three of them put together. So you balance it, you know. I, I and it's it's easy for me to say from here. Um, I would like to see the someone put forth a good idea on a six man division instead of teams walk that tight rope every single year as you know i mean brandon you've been with idaho sports now for what three years yeah and i think every year showban has intended to have a team to the point where they're on schedules but then when push comes to shove they just don't have enough kids and that's not showban's fault you know you only have so many kids to draw from but if you only needed six could you do it maybe maybe not i just I would like to see if somebody could put together some sort of a legitimate, like, here's how it would work, here's what it would look like, and here's how it would benefit some of these smaller communities. Yeah, and and Coach Kirkland, I want to ask you kind of just philosophically, eight man versus six man. It's 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 way different, you know. Eleven man versus eight man is is different, but there's enough similarities where you can still run off tackle or off guard. But in six man, you've got a center, and at least in Montana, you've got a center. He snaps the ball and he can go run into the pattern if he wants to. He can go be a receiver. Um, also in six man in Montana, uh, as you take the snap, you can't just run with it. You have to hand it off first. So you can't have a, a Cody power from Dietrich. Just take the snap and run. Somebody's got to hand him the ball first. But but stylistically, there's there's a big difference between eight man and six man football, right? Yes, there is a, a comment on that. And I want to bounce back to a, a few comments on co-ops. Uh, Sure. You know, when there were some some six man going on in the state back in 2013, 14, when Camas and Clark County were rolling with that uh, idea, I, I called Tim Perigo. He was on the board from uh, Minico, a good friend. And I said, what's going on here? Why, why are you supporting this? And he gave the greatest answer. He's like, well, kids need to play football, coach. And that's all it was. Kids need to be playing football. And I, I grew to understand that and appreciate that, which is a, a true statement. Um, back to the co-op thing, I know it's hard to bite the bullet um, between one community to another to join together, but uh, many of those co-ops have become extremely successful, very successful, even in recent years. Uh, you mentioned Phillipsburg and Drummond. Um, I talked to Coach Cutler. I think they won two, and we're in the, for the third championship over there in, in Montana. Um, you go back to the Tri-Valley of 2017. Um, that was a, a, a second-place team that we competed against. Uh, New Meadows and Salmon River in 12 and 13, even though Vanderish did everything, that put 29 kids on the sideline, which was was, was a huge boost. Um, 2016, Camas and Richfield co-oping. Those guys were beasts and monsters and in the playoffs and took care of, care of North Gym in a surprise uh, early playoff game and, and were tough. And then uh, lately, Mullen St. Regis having some great success. So communities, I think, sometimes need to take a – invited that humble pie and go we want to be successful as well and it's okay to uh, to become the rival team or, or whatever you want to call yourselves and uh, and maybe we can just go with this and 
and build a, a core relationship between our communities and our boys will have a whole bunch of success, whereas uh, we might just uh, have a little six-man game here and there. That's my thoughts on some of those things. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. I think it's a lot easier to go to co-op, right? Six-man logistically is a little more difficult. Um, might have more of a long-term viability, right? Co-ops can dissolve and come together as schools need them. And you listed off a, a ton of great examples there. To me, the co-op thing is simple. If it's the choice between having a team and playing a season or not, I'm going to take the, I'm going to open the door that allows me to play. Um, right. But I, again, Will, I, I have just kind of t- through back channels and stuff. It, it seems like there is a lot of resistance to that idea. Yeah, there are. Uh, I've talked to a number of coaches. Coach McIlvain up in in uh, New Meadows last year. He he was one who was telling me he was a big advocate. He was a big proponent of six man because he said just based on where we are, the odds of us ever having a big enough school to really support uh, an eight man, let alone an eleven man team. He goes, it's it's just not very good. But at the same time. You know, if we try and co-op with Salmon River, it's whatever, 50 miles away. If we go to McCall, the kids basically get, you know, patted on the head and told to go to the side and don't get hurt. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but that was that was kind of the gist of it is for my kids to have the best experience. I feel like six man is the best thing. And uh, the, the, the problem that I have with it and problem is the wrong word. I just don't know how it works layout wise because there there are communities that are just resistant to to going down to six man and if if you can't get the timberline from Weipe and the cascades and the salmon rivers and if you can't get some of those teams willing to get on board i i just don't know that you ever have enough teams to to make it viable yeah, you have to have uh, willing participants for sure. And that happens in Montana too. There's some some schools that straddle that eight-man, six-man line, and they're like, it'll be a cold day and you know where before, oh, yeah. I, before I play six-man football, Coach Kirkland. There is a pride of eight-man football, especially in a state like Idaho that's never had six-man football before. And and just a comment on that, uh, back in uh, 04, when, uh, when those five 11-man teams dropped to eight-man, which would be Mackie, Hagerman, Oakley, Murtaugh, and Rimrock, I believe, was the other one. I think you're um, right. There was, there was some pretty serious pushback there. I was right in the middle of that. And uh, no way were those communities going to drop and play eight-man football. Oakley, in particular, my Coach Cook and I, Lee Cook, got invited to Oakley in 03, summer of 03, to introduce a little eight-man football to uh, the kids and the parents. And... Uh, and say this it's okay it's still football kind of like we're talking about here with six man but uh, that 11 man tradition was thick in those schools and there's definitely some pushback that here we are almost 20 years later in two divisions and uh, and, and playing good eight man ball yeah and and it's not a it's not a competitive problem right you see a lot of times where oh uh we're just not competitive so we're going to petition down a level or it, it it truly is a numbers problem where north Jim's a good team but they've only got nine players um same with salmon river they've got good athletes but they're just not big enough will it it truly is a body count problem it's not a competitive problem it's yeah yeah and some of those years you know coach kirkland you mentioned the years that they co-opt some with the new meadows team there were a couple of years that they went it alone in Salmon River and they went to the state championship with 11 kids, 12 kids. And 
Uh, I mean, that's that's hard. And it doesn't matter. It can be a Division One school. It can be a Division Two school. Um, that doesn't really matter. But it is a numbers thing. You can have six of the best players in the state of Idaho. And unless you find at least two more, you're not even getting on the field to play. And that makes it tough. Um, I know some uh, some folks who said, hey, man, that Clark County team last year when when they brought it back and played, a couple of coaches over in Eastern Idaho that I talked to said, if they just had more kids, they've got two or three kids that have serious dude potential. There's just not enough of them to sustain a healthy program long term. Yeah, and I think the last thing to consider, and, and maybe we'll dive into this more uh you know, in the off season, but uh, for if, if six man football was a thing that was available, would we see more schools try to play? You know, I think of like a lead which is co- pretty consistently one of the smallest schools in Idaho, uh, but they've got, they've got good athletes in the, in the school. They, they run cross country because the, the football is not an option. Do we see more of these private schools, you know, like a, like a Genesis prep up here in North Idaho or, um, over in the Treasure Valley, Will, there's tons of, of private and charter schools that don't oh, play sure. football. Um, Coach Kirkland, do you think we would see more schools like that come out of the woodworks if, if you only had to put six guys on the field instead of eight? Once again, it's a community pride thing. Um, the numbers would be there, you know, eight and the tens uh, athletes would show up. Uh, I think if if someone really organized it and got it going, you would uh, we would have to develop those pods we talked about last week in those areas, and uh, it it could possibly happen. Um, and it would be a positive thing for the, those communities and maybe get them started and attract the rest of the boys in the school to start throwing in and say, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll, I'll join next year. How about a T-shirt? You know, maybe they'll get to 12 and 14 eventually. Got to start somewhere. Yeah. And that, that, that's uh, the nail on the head right there. It all starts with good leadership and drumming up enthusiasm um, and, and getting those kids out for the great game of football. So yeah, I don't know. Interesting food for thought. I thought this was a good time to uh, talk about it, especially with the the news of the Greenleaf Wilder merger, corporate merger, if you will, uh, happening. So I don't know. Good food for thought. Um, let's preview what's coming up this weekend, though, fellas, because we've got some really good matchups. And again, IdahoSports.com is going to have, you know, a couple of really juicy matchups uh, starting up in the White Pine League, where we've got Logos still undefeated, four and zero overall, two and zero in league play. Uh, they're going to be hosting Lapway. Will and Lapway went to Clearwater Valley last week and really ran ran up the the point total um elias you're out balled out um i was pretty surprised by the final margin of victory for lapway yeah clearwater valley's a little bit beat up right now a couple players didn't play last week due to injuries not sure if the that's a long-term thing or they were just out last week but you take a couple key pieces out of the puzzle and it's a little bit harder to get things done especially against a team like Lapway, which, as usual, is loaded with athletes. And you mentioned year out. What an all-around game that young man had. And You know, when you've got a couple of guys around, they've got a freshman quarterback. And when you've got a handful of players around that freshman quarterback that can take some of the pressure off, good things can happen. And so for them to go get that win uh, against Clearwater, build some momentum, I guarantee you they're going to come into that Logos game feeling pretty good about themselves. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at the scoreboard in the fourth quarter saying, hey, this is anybody's ballgame. 
Yeah, Lapway's two and one on the season, coach, and we know what kind of basketball power Lapway has been in the past. To me, it's kind of cool to see uh, what we. Oh, there he went. Okay, <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> Zero percent. Yep, that was it. We lost. Uh, uh, we we lost Coach Kirkland there. That's all right. All right. We're gonna finish up the last few minutes in. Hey, that's all good. We we got his thoughts on all the important stuff, the six man and the co-ops. And, oh, and he had uh, some great stuff there too. Some of that, um, you know, and you don't really think about some of those co-ops that aren't necessarily named, you know, Mullen, St. Regis, but some of those teams that kind of fold in together. And uh, I mean, he had some great info there. I mean, the, the one that he didn't mention that I was waiting to see if he would was Lost Rivers when yeah. Butte County and, and Mackey, and they went to the state championship game and, there are several people in Mackey that said, you know, that team was not getting to the state championship without those Mackey kids. It wasn't like all the Butte County kids and, oh, there's a couple Mackey kids over on the side. There are people saying, hey, those are some pretty good Mackey kids that came over there. So, um, yeah, he had some great insight there, and I'm, I'm glad he was able to hang on at least that long. Yes. Uh, and one last thing about the co-ops. The two schools that co-op like it because it gives their kids a chance – I think pretty universally everybody else in their conference hates it because <laughs> they're like, how is this fair? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that question. Um, and you talked about being from Montana, you know, where there are co-ops everywhere. I'm an Eastern Washington guy. So, you know, Garfield Palouse, St. John Endicott, Elmira Cooley Heartline, you know, go up and down the list of all those it's B in Washington, all those B programs that, that co-op and, you know, it's, <laughs> adapt or die right you know you you really have very few options if you keep trying to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and this applies beyond the co-op thing you know you were talking about clark fork you're expecting a track meet their coaching staff knew that they had to simplify okay i'm sure they would have liked to have just dropped back and 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 went wild but they knew that that probably wasn't in their best interest in that particular matchup so uh the willingness to adapt the willingness to change especially in our smaller communities is, you know, that's, what's going to keep that heart beating, you know? Yeah. I think that you just came up with the, uh, the podcast title adapt or die. I like oh, it. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, okay. It's back to time the- I did one. It's usually you or coach Kirkland. It's never me. Yeah. We, we'll give, we'll give you a little love tonight. Yes. Will. Nice. Um, so yes, Lapway at Logos Friday night, seven o'clock Pacific time on IdahoSports.com from Moscow should be a really interesting measuring stick test. A potlatch, meanwhile, is uh, playing Troy, and if if both Logos and Potlatch get through this week unscathed, will they meet next Friday in Potlatch in a battle of undefeated White Pine leaders? Yeah, and that's one that uh, I, I hope we have the capacity to consider doing that game because that's one I would definitely like to, even if I'm unable to watch it live, pop into those archives on IdahoSports.com and and watch that game because Coach Ball, as usual, and his staff are doing doing great, great work uh, at Potlatch. Yeah, we're gonna put feelers out and see uh, see what we can do there, but uh, that that matchup looms large for sure. Um, Kamii is still kind of lurking too. And, and Kamii, of course, has to play Potlatch still this year. They already lost to Logos. Uh, Kamii is going to play Clearwater Valley in the, uh, I, I love the, the name of this rivalry. Well, the Upriver Rampage is what oh, they yeah. call it. <laughs> between... Yeah, those guys are separated by all of about 150 yards. You know, get a good seven iron and you can hit it from school to school. And they actually compete together in some sports, you know, be it wrestling and whatnot. So, 
they know each other really well. And I talked to Coach Hutchins earlier this week, and he said, hey, whether whether we're down and they're up or vice versa, we know each other. And, you know, there's there's just something about that rivalry game that brings everybody up, just that extra little pinch. And, uh, you know, I expect that to be a pretty interesting matchup. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun one as well up in the White Pine League. We've got another neutral site, uh, eight-man affair going on Uh We'll actually have uh, back-to-back neutral site games on IdahoSports.com this week and then next week. But for this week, Will, you've got a Saturday showdown. Council is playing Butte County at Homedale High School at 5 o'clock Mountain Time on Saturday night. We will have that game for you on IdahoSports.com from that new turf field at Homedale. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, Council just coming off that game against Kamei last Friday where things didn't go real well um for for the lumberjacks went well for Kamii, and now their reward is to have to drive you know and what would that be about an hour and a half down the road roughly maybe two hours and play another one of the best 1a division one teams in the state so uh council's got their work cut out for them they're a talented team they're a strong team but so's butte county i mean butte county i've been on that wagon since day one i remain on that wagon uh, Coach Thorngren and the Pirates, the, I, I expect them to be one of the last four teams playing in November. Whether or not they get to that championship game, I don't know, but I expect them to be in the semifinals. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get down on that turf field under the lights Saturday night when you're the – it's kind of like being Monday night football, you know what I mean? I, if you're a high school football fan in Idaho, that's the game you're going to be watching. And, and uh, I think it's a good opportunity for Butte County to showcase their depth, their versatility – uh, and just their overall talent. Yeah, this is again Saturday night, 5 p.m. Mountain. So uh, in terms of viewership, I mean, win- window-wise, there's not much else going on. So yeah, why not tune in and, and check out a little Saturday night action on IdahoSports.com. And, you know, I got to give Andy Glenn, I think he's in his third or fourth year coaching council. Mm-hmm. I got to give him a lot of credit um, for putting together a very rigorous schedule. You know, councils. Oh, God, yeah. Council could get through this regular season and be like, I don't know, six and three. And maybe people that just look at the records go, oh, yeah, they're all right, I guess. And Mm -hmm. and miss the context of they've played a lot of really good teams. They have. They have. And another thing I'll give him credit for is he apparently wears shorts no matter the weather. It could be (laughs) 10 below zero and snowing sideways with, you know, hurricane force winds. And he's going to be out there in his khaki shorts coaching football from what I've heard. Um, so I'll give him credit for that one as well, but yeah, it's, you know, you talk about a willingness to take on all comers, but when push comes to shove, you know, Kendrick's done it the last couple of years. Council's doing it this year. You're seeing some teams do it. I mean, we got to play somebody. We may as well play, you know, we may as well play the big boys and see how we match up. Yeah, don't, don't mention bad weather in council. That brings oh, back boy. bad memories that of that game last year. <laughs> yeah, that six nothing loss to Castleford in the quarterfinals, where there was yeah. a a blizzard in council oh, that man. night. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was. Um, so yes, Council Butte County uh, from Homedale Saturday night five o'clock on IdahoSports.com. Um, other games of note that we're keeping an eye on here, Will. Uh, I look over at the the 1AD1 District 4 Snake River Conference. You've got Raft River at Valley. This, to me, is almost like an elimination game where whoever loses this game is going to be behind the eight ball and and possibly could be on the outside looking in. If we're just going off of what happened last year, five teams 
from the conference got into the playoffs ultimately between auto bids and at large bids. Um, but you know, Raft River, not not everybody can make it, right? Musical chairs, somebody's gonna be left out of the dance. So this is an important game already in September for both Raft River and Valley. Yeah, and I think more so for Raft River than for Valley, though it's would not help Valley's cause to lose this game. Let's put it that way. But uh, Coach Chad Evans and the Trojans over in Malta, you know, they I, I think for confidence as much as anything, they need to go out and they need to have a strong showing. They've got some talent over there, Kai Ward and you know, some of the other players in the in the blue and yellow, they're they're not a bad football team. They're down a little bit in numbers uh compared to what we've seen, you know, in years past. But the they're they're tough, they're competitive, and they're gonna go give it everything they've got. That's the only thing that, you know, that's a team will kind of follow the molding of its coach, and that's Chad Evans. You know what I mean? Kind of just quiet and goes about his business and and works his tail off. And uh, is that's basically what his team does. And that's what they're going to have to do Friday night against a Valley team that has shown a, a real explosiveness with Thomas Vargas and with Hardy and with Drake Jones and some of the other players we've talked about is this is a team that can hit some home runs. Um, they've given up a few home runs as well, which I'm sure head coach Brian Ayers would like to limit on Friday night uh, and going forward as well. But, but I think you're right. I think the team that wins this game puts themselves in 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 a good position, not a great position, not a perfect position. Um, you know, you're not reserving the bus for that first round of the playoffs just yet. Um, but the team that loses, and, and I would think especially if that team is Raft River, you know, you've you've put yourself in a in a very precarious situation as far as advancing. See, Raft River to me is almost like Lighthouse has been the past couple of years, Will, bit, where they, they are where they just had such a rigorous schedule early that yes, okay, they're Owen, they're Owen four, they're Owen five, they're Owen six. But then the, the soft part of the schedule comes at the end, the, the, the soft, as soft as it can get in the, in the snake river. Well, yeah, it's is, not Oakley. No, you know, it's, it's not lighthouse Christian. No. And you're, you're exactly right. And that's why it's important when you have a chance to get a win, you need to get that win. Cause at some point, you know, whether you're, you know, there, there is, there and we don't know the mathematical equation, and we can beat that horse. You know, it's dead and gone. We're never going to know the equation, but there's there's a pretty big difference between two and you know, say two and six and three and five. And so, if you have a chance to get what would be down the line that third win or that fourth win, you got to capitalize. Yeah, and so I think for for that reason, I think this game is more important for Valley, as counterintuitive as that sounds, knowing that Valley still has at least what we think are the two big dogs this year, Oakley and Lighthouse Christian, whereas Raft River's already played them. Okay, we're done with them. Um, so, for, so for Valley here, if they could bankroll a win against Raft River, that puts a little wind in their sails, I think, and, and really could get them on a good trajectory. But, man, this is and, – and we're going to have matchups like this every single week in this yes. conference. So. Yep, and and in multiple other conferences as well. Um, you get up there into the 1A Division ones, you get some of those teams behind – uh, you know, Logos and and Potlatch, you know, your your prairies and your lapways and your cameis that are trying to slug it out to basically make sure where you're not in the shoes that you're not wearing the shoes that Prairie wore last year where you know you're good enough to be there, but just the way the 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 the, the tree is shaking, you know, you're the only apple left on the tree when it's all said and done. 
Um, I don't know if that metaphor makes any sense whatsoever, but I hopefully know, hopefully you understand where I was going for where, you know, they were a good enough team to get there, but because of other um, allotments, they were the team left without a spot. And I'm sure that coach Kane and in Prairie and, and his kids could look at a game or two, man, I wish we would have gotten that game or I wish we would have gotten that game. Maybe it flips the coin. So you're right in district four and in district two, I think every week there's going to be one or two of these games going forward where the winner is going to walk away saying, okay, good. I'm glad we got that one. And the loser is going to have their eye on it on the schedule going, Oh man, if only we had gotten that one. Yeah. And, and the white pine only got three teams into the playoffs last year. Kamii, Clearwater Valley, Lapway. That might happen again. So you really have to make sure you secure one of those two auto bids and don't leave it up to the at-large chances because between district four and district two, I'm just saying it right now, there's going to be a good team or several good teams. Two or three, you know, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Don't it's, you know, I'm a baseball coach and I can't tell you how many times I've had kids walk back to the dugout uh, after they thought, you know, a borderline pitch was called against them. And I just tell them, don't leave it in the umpire's hands. You know, go up there ready to hit. Don't leave it up to him as to whether or not you, you're you on first or you're back in the dugout. And this would be similar. You know, the, the, the best advice in the world to any of these teams, any of these teams, you know, be it Murtaugh, be it Valley, be it, you know, Troy, whoever, win. Yeah, win already- and it'll sort itself out. It's already getting late for some teams, which is, uh, is. yeah, tough. Uh, And and so we're talking about this because for the second year in a row, District 3, the Western Idaho Conference is going to get two bids uh, to the playoffs, which is now, what, a four-team league with Well, that's where where the the, – I I don't want to say it looks bad because no one could have foreseen this particular sequence of events coming up. But you're right. Two teams guaranteed to get in. Notice, you know, I, I I don't want to call anyone a lock. I don't want to put it in ink until they've actually qualified, but they look to be in tre- tre- you know, tremendous shape. Two of the other teams have had to combine to finish their season. Idaho City has struggled. Idaho City, we're, we're recording this on Thursday night. Uh, Idaho City and the Wilder Greenleaf Co-op are playing right now. They're probably at about halftime of their game as we speak. Um, and then you've got Rimrock, a team that, uh, according to sources that I've talked to, they're having some numbers issues as well. Like they're okay right now, but you sprain a couple ankles and and we may be postponing some games there. And two of those teams are going to get into the playoffs. And then you look at the possibility of let's use Prairie again. Let's say Prairie finishes five and three. And you're looking at possibly say a, a two win Rimrock team that gets into the playoffs instead of a five win team out of the White Pine. That's where this. That's where the back and forth comes from. That's where the frustration comes from. That's where the the anger comes from among fan bases and the the confusion among coaches. And uh, we obviously have not yet found that. You know, you kind of got to find that narrow line uh, that you can kind of walk that tightrope. And we obviously have not found it yet. Yeah, uh, because you look at the number of uh, bids and number of teams. You know, District Four has got seven teams. They get two bids. Uh, the White Pine League's got eight teams. They get two bids. I guess you could say, I, I could hear the argument, okay, District 3's got five teams. We should get two bids. But, man, two out of four versus two out of eight and two out of seven, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's tough. But again, nobody could have foreseen this happening. And so now I guess the head-to-head results are important, but I'm also kind of gauging how everybody does against notice to try and figure out, okay, can one of these teams go somewhere in the first round of the playoffs and maybe put a scare into a team? Because we think, we think notice is pretty good. So I want to see how do these teams compete against notice and Rimrock gets the first crack at it Friday. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and Rimrock, we know with, with Gomez, we mentioned earlier, he's a, he's a heck of an athlete. So we know that there are a couple of playmakers down there wearing Raider uniforms. It's just a matter of, if, you know, if they're healthy, if they've got their full uh, deck cards to, to play with, to compete with in that game. And if they do, I don't see any reason why they can't hang around, you know, and, you know, make it fun, you know, let's give people a reason to stick around after halftime as the, the old joke goes. Um, uh, I think it's possible. Idaho City, I, um, I'm i curious to hear how things go tonight with them and the Wilder Greenleaf co-op. Um, Coach Rober up there, I know that there were some people expecting some some good things out of his squad, and so far they just haven't found their footing yet. But, I mean, how many times have we seen it, Brandon? I mean, last year, Lighthouse Christian starts 0-5, wins two out of their last three, and they wind up going into the playoffs, and they didn't exactly get laughed out of the playoffs. You know what I mean? So get right at the hot time. Uh, as as a, a wise man once told me, I, I would rather be the ugliest girl invited to the dance rather than the prettiest girl left sitting at home. That's right. That's a good way to to put it. Um, and then at the one eighty two level this week, uh, you know the long pin conference. Tri Valley is a team I'm kind of interested in. I misspoke last week. I said their quarterback Jace Wagoner was a freshman. He's a sophomore. I don't want to. Oh, I, I had a, I had a Tri Valley fan write in and let me know. Hey, I appreciate that. So, but they've got a bye week, and then they play Council next week. That's going to be a big game, and we'll talk more about that next week. Garden Valley was going to play Cascade, and I thought this could be interesting, but Cascade now running into low numbers because of injuries, and so they've moved that game to October. Will um, I'm glad to hear they were able to find a date to play that and not just wipe it off the books. Well, and I got to double check because Cascade originally that week was scheduled to play Wilder on Friday, October 13th. They're now playing Garden Valley on Wednesday, October 11th. So I got to assume they dropped the Wilder game, but I yeah, that would be my assumption because Wilder based on their co-op with Gem State Academy, which is a seventh day Adventist school, they can't play on Fridays. So that game would have to be moved up. And since it was a non-conference, my bet is the two athletic directors, you know, Wilder and Cascade got together and said, Hey, let's just, let's just wipe this one off the book. You can get your conference game uh, filled in there and, you know, and they can, you know, Wilder Greenleaf can, can have a bye week or maybe they can see if they can find another game because they're, um, you know, there are teams that are out there that may be willing to step in at a moment's notice. I heard there was one up in North Idaho, uh, Kootenai had to count cancel and I forget Wallace uh, Kootenai was going to play Wallace. That game has been canceled and Wallace picked up the team from uh, Montana that was on a bye week that said, yeah, we'll come over and play. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe Wallace is going over there and playing. I'm not sure, but um, there's a possibility that something could happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the big game of the week to me at the one AD two level is uh, in the sawtooth conference district for Dietrich 
at Hagerman. Okay, we've been talking Hagerman up. Are the Pirates for real? Wyatt Maven Camp is back off of his injury, back mm-hmm. quarterbacking the Pirates. Um, this is their opportunity to say, yep, we're here and we've arrived. Yeah, and it didn't go well for him last week. Um, but now if you got Maven Camp back in the mix and you've got a week under your belts and everybody's practiced and everybody's ready to go, um, you know, I like this Dietrich team. I think that you got Camas County, I think, is pretty clearly the number one, though I'm sure Dietrich's saying, hey, wait a second. Um, but, uh, you know, Dietrich trying to get in there into that that B, you know, that second position. And and the dogfight is really going to be for C, that number three spot. And this, uh, on paper, you know, these two teams uh, are are in that mix. Um uh, you know, Castle Ford's going to be in that mix. So what what happens on Friday between these two teams uh, is obviously going to go a long way in determining who winds up on what line when the 1A Division II playoff bracket is formalized in a few weeks. Yeah, and I think if we're being honest, there's four teams in, in there, Dietrich, Castle Ford, Camas County, and Hagerman, I think are all should be in the playoffs. Only three will get to go. I would I would venture to say that all four of those teams could finish at least second place over in potentially. Yeah. Depending on how, yeah. depend. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I jumped in. I assumed I knew what you were going to say, go ahead and finish. Yeah. yeah over in district five, six, the Rocky mountain conference, which okay. has got Rockland and North gem and water Springs and Mackey. And I only say that because outside of Rockland, you know, they've, they've cleaned up against the other teams from the Rocky mountain conference in those non-conference matchups so far. Yeah. So. yeah. And coach Hunter uh, in talking to him earlier this week, look at me name dropping everywhere. Um, you know, he said they're starting to find their footing a little bit and they played much better the last couple of weeks as opposed to the first couple of weeks. And you get to that North gem game coming up in a couple of weeks and there's still, you know, you talk about rivalry games, you, you never know. North gem has some kids that can play. They just don't have very many kids. And I've also had a couple of coaches tell me, Hey, don't completely go to bed on Mackey. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think the, the odds are stacked against them schedule wise and whatnot. Um, but you know, they've got Riker Esplin, they've got Palin Bruley, they've got some kids that can play there. And if you walk in there and you take them lightly, they might jump up and they might, they might bite somebody. So, uh, but your, your point is well taken. You know, you take, say Hagerman out of, out of district four and you drop them into that five, six, um, are they in a better position to make the playoffs? I, I think they probably are. Yeah. So Hagerman will host Dietrich uh, on Friday. Should be an interesting matchup there as well. But uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Idaho 8-Man PrepCast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget, on IdahoSports.com, two big games happening, one Friday, one Saturday. Friday night, we've got Lapway at Logos, 7 o'clock Pacific time. And then Saturday, neutral site game, Butte County and Council playing in Homedale, Saturday night, 5 p.m. Mountain time for that one all right for the coach lane kirkland and his cell phone (laughs) battery which is uh, hopefully resting and charging somewhere and for for will henneke uh my name is brandon bainey enjoy the competitions everybody we'll see you next week for another edition of the idaho eight-man prep cast on idahosports.com